Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Have you got a chance? Uh, no. No, uh, I genuinely would be happy with a 20 point differential. What? I think, I think that would be a success, yeah. Losing by 20 points would be a success? Yeah. Come on. Losing by 20 points would be a success? Yeah. Come on. Six minutes to play. Now Mario out of Carberry. Still running with the ball. Zebo in a bit of space. And there's plenty of room too. All Blacks flying back in defence. Off it goes to Julian Sarvier. He can't go anywhere. Five metres from. Oh, what a play from Ireland. This is it really. This is it for Ireland. They can put this in, this one out of reach. I don't expect, I do not expect them, unless they are demanded to by the referee, to release this ball from the scrum. Less than five minutes. Here's Heaslip. Well, he picks it up quickly and off he goes. Drops it off the head. conversion for Joey Carberry to make his contribution on debut. All Blacks charge. Up go the flags. This is history in the making and they are really good for an island. They deserve this. And what a night it's going to be. What a triumph it is for Joe Smith. Kiwi boy who's engineered 
the real history. Into the grandstand it goes. Ireland beat the All Blacks for the first time. Yeah, I think I like the 2016 ending a little better than the 2013 one. I don't know, there was just something about... Ryan Crotty's heartbreaking try that was kind of heartbreaking at the time. Hello there, come on in and join us for a joyous Irish Times Second Captain's podcast. It's doubly joyous, Murph, for Simon here. Mm-hmm. I think I can tell you why. Not only does he get to celebrate an historic Irish victory, he also yep. can be satisfied mm-hmm. that we didn't lose by more than 20 points. It's kind of a double win <laughs> for you, Simon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, and I was just, I was protecting myself. I was protecting the nation. Offering myself up as a sacrifice, I suppose. Some mm-hmm. cultures, it's a pig, some it's a goat. But my rugby prediction career... In Ireland, it's a turkey. The, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the rivers run red with my rugby reputation. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm just glad, Murph, that slowed-down robot-sounding me disputed yeah. at the time. Had a bit of blind faith in our boys that we at least wouldn't get smashed. I know you watched the first episode of the new Planet Earth series last night, Murph. You were uh, feverishly texting me about it. Yeah. David yeah, Attenborough's yeah. Planet Earth 2. Uh, you'll have seen the bit on the red crabs that roam around Christmas Island in the Indian Ocean. Of course. So these crabs, unusually for crabs spend most of their time on land they actually only return to the sea once a year to breed 50 million of them in fact march relentlessly towards the ocean or at least they used to until their dominance of the island's ecosystem was shattered by the arrival of an invader the humble yellow crazy ant (laughs) these ants have managed to build super colonies on the island and now any time a crab sets foot on their piece of their patch of land of course the yellow crazy ants spit acid into their eyes leaving the crabs blinded defenseless and ultimately doomed. So what you're saying is the red crab has had a good innings, mm-hmm. but the next 100 years belongs to the crazy ants. The crazy ants. <laughs> Joe Schmidt's crazy ants have done the business against the all-black red crabs. <laughs> and the acid... The all-black red yeah, crabs. The acid that was spewed out by the crazy ants. So it's yeah. spewed out in the form of brilliantly conceived set plays of attacking lineouts yeah. and scrums yeah, yeah. and so forth. No, really, really good one. Because you did say to me... I told you I'd crowbar one in. <laughs> and you did. And it's there I mentioned the planet Earth would be crowbar did, and there it is. On the show today, Shane Horgan, who was at Soldier Field to witness history being made. Ali Williams, the former All Black, who was on the show last Thursday. I think people reacted well to Ali. He stopped short of making a points prediction. But we think he was... Thinking somewhere in the Simon Hick, somewhere above the north Simon Hick region, Simon Hick. north of Hick, yeah. Uh, so we'll see what he has to say today. And Matt Williams, who has in the past been pretty critical of the embarrassing hero worship, as he calls it, at the altar of Joe Schmidt. So we'll see if Matty's thoughts on Ireland's head coach have changed at all based on what was an unbelievable day. I know it wasn't that easy. This is the only pity that not as many people that not everybody saw it, and that not so much that not everybody saw, it, but people. It seemed to be the first time that it dawned on some people that. This ish, these issues have happened where Air Sport have gone off on their own and you can't watch that if you've got a Virgin Media pack and you can if you have Sky but you have to buy it and you know this is all public yeah. knowledge but you know a lot of people don't watch that much sport and want to come around to a game like this and then think hang on it's not on RT it's not on Sky what's going on here so uh, it did sorry you wanted to come in on that no just uh, funnily uh, I think a lot of people then said right well I will go down to the pub then yeah yeah um, that's what I was going to say and yeah. as a result uh, there was maybe more of us experienced a sort of communal... Old school. You know, Euro 2016 type vibe <laughs> yeah. to this game than we would otherwise have. Because, I mean, it's Saturday evening. Uh, you know, it's uh, half nine, ten o'clock by the time the final whistle went near enough. Uh, after ten o'clock, actually, I think, by the time the final whistle went. And so a lot of people were at the pu- uh, in the pub watching it, I think. And so a lot of people had very, very happy memories of, of, of being able to share it, not just with, you know, your family... But also, like, 
in a crowd type atmosphere. I was in a pub in Dublin watching it, for instance, and uh, experiencing the full, you know, emotional roller coaster that the game was. And uh, say when the New Zealand fourth try went in and it was 33-29 with 15, 16 minutes to go, and just the entire pub was just completely aghast. How could this be happening to us again? Oh, my God. It's all over. And at that exact moment, there was a, like a deathly quiet had settled over the pub. And a group of people walked in. Uh, just at that moment, the conversion had just gone over. We're waiting for the restart. And one of their number turns to the TV camera and says, Oh, my God, we're four points up on the old match. This is unbelievable. <laughs> and literally everyone turned around and said, Oh, God, oh. you have no idea. And this has obviously been the first notion that she'd taken that that the game was on, that she that this is the first part of the, the, the story of that yeah, yeah, that yeah. she'd heard. Oh, yeah. Well, on paper, it looks up. good. On paper, that looks good. And it actually did remind me of the situation that we were in, that, yes, I was, without doubt, my heart was going to get broken again. But on the other hand, you know, maybe there's a chance that we go down the field, we, we don't concede another point, we score a heroic, unbelievable try through our new superstar center and we go on to win the game sure that could happen <laughs> just at that time i wouldn't have been betting a whole lot of money on. i was in a pub in tullow uh, presumably the tullow tanks local uh, there were certainly pictures of them there was there were plenty of pictures of a young or at least one or two pictures of academy ace sean mm. nets leinster contract all this kind of stuff which uh, which was quite quite good. and actually i did it did make me think of the unfortunate players like himself who couldn't play because of injury or oh, well wasn't picked, you know, yeah, Peter, Peter Manny, Manny, these kind of guys who probably should have been there. But anyway, the yeah, there is something magical about that. I, I, what struck me was more after the game, the immediately everything breaks up a little bit and suddenly the bar is a lot less stuffy and you can kind of just take a, a weight off and start talking. But everyone starts ringing people at that stage and they're on the phone. There's this disbelief. You just, even though you've had this communal thing, you want to ring the other people who you yeah, might have yeah, watched yeah. previous sporting <laughs> events with. You were watching it, I hope. Share with them. <laughs> yes, unbelievable. I was a little bit worried about the celebration of the Zebo try, I must say, when it was totally natural that Sexton and Zebo and was it Murray mm. were kind of jumping around like it was the first time they'd ever played a sporting event. It was, like, it was like they were eight years of age and they'd scored their first try and it was so joyous and almost boyish. And you're thinking, I, I know they don't think that we've got the job done, but this is the, it was the first time that looked like it had crept in a little bit. And it was you just 38. Knew. Yeah. Was I mean, we're 20 you really have to yeah. check yourself and your mentality and the small little bubble of Ireland versus New Zealand and its history. If at that stage, a 30 point state, you don't believe. But I personally didn't. I was still waiting for the apocalypse. Yeah, which thankfully didn't come. Like which, Jerry, ki- which kind of came, and we managed. Well, to sorry, still. it did come. I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We managed to ride sorry, through yeah. the apocalypse there. Jerry Thorney described it as. Well, he says it has to be ranked as simply the best Irish rugby win ever, son. As a one-off, I agree. As a one-off. Um, traditionally, I suppose England would always, was always the game that was most anticipated by Irish rugby fans. It got the most media coverage, the best atmosphere and grounds. But I don't know whether it was the myth and that they were so distant uh, growing up I always felt like New Zealand for me was a bigger game and just because um, beating them I thought would mean so much more would say so much more about Ireland I mean we beat England oh even in our worst of times we beat them every 10 times we played them Uh, there always felt like there was a chance whereas against New Zealand it, it just it didn't feel like there was a chance you could win the game it didn't feel like a sporting fixture as such because you knew the result. We were welcoming welcoming them to the like the New Zealand party. It's a ceremonial yeah, thing. Yeah, the, the hack the is com- part of it. Country as opposed to yeah. right. Let's try and let's all turn up and, and watch what way New Zealand beat us. Will it be that we play well or they play well? It doesn't matter. But the result is always the same. In terms of being excited about the future of Irish rugby 
this result blows all the others apart, in my opinion. Uh, there's the Grand Slam, there's successive championships, there's winning in South Africa, there's all those other little milestones there's been in the Australia last 15 years. Australia the World Cup in 2011. Felt, at the time I was down there, and it felt really significant. And then all that significance was taken away by the performance and the result against Wales. Mm. Yeah, well, I, yeah I, I, I know exactly what you mean, and that's certainly the case. But I suppose it, it, this is what you do in the immediate aftermath of games and say, right, devoid of what happens on the back of this or what we can build on the back of this, you know, th- right now, that seems like a huge, this seems like an absolutely huge uh, win. That Australia, that game in 2011 as well, and for, maybe it's the pool game, you know, maybe you do kind of go into the nuts. Either way, two pretty amazing days. But like, what I loved about it was that New Zealand did actually come back, you know, that, 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 exactly. that, that we were put right to the pin of our, and I, I was trying to think of, right, okay, what is it about sports sometimes that, that, that you know that there, there's something special about certain results. I remember watching uh, Manchester United's first foray back into European football uh, after they'd won the leagues, and no English club had played in the the Champions League or the European Cup for ages because of high school and all the rest. So there were ver- the, Engl- the English the England clubs were uh, you know very gradually being reintroduced into European football, and I remember the they played Barcelona. Johan Cruyff, Barcelona, and you know tore them apart, and then Barcelona came to Old Trafford, and there was a feeling at that time that you know as a supporter, it's like these guys are so good that they could just rip you apart at any moment, and it made the entire game so thrilling, like just an unbelievably thrilling occasion because you could never be too far ahead, uh, you could never feel comfortable for even a second during the game, and I, I remember thinking at the time like that's what this European football is all about, this idea that you're playing teams that are just so good that you have to do everything right and you still only might win. And you see it, we say, with the Kilkenny hurlers now as well, that, say, Tipperary were so much better than them in the Iron Final this year, like, just oceans, oceans away from Kilkenny on the day. And yet no one, you know, even with 10 minutes to go, no one was saying, oh, God, they have this in the bag now, it's just a case of Tipperary, like, running up the score here. And that's what makes beating the very, very best so much better than... And then any other victory, Th- that idea that you're on tenterhooks for the whole game, like you never, ever, ever relax, and then that feeling of release when you actually go ahead yeah. and win a game like that. And every play felt like it could have ended in a try for either team in that game. Yeah, I mean, it feels kind of irrelevant, but it was a belter of a game for every other fan in the world to watch. Yeah, if you had told people it's going to be a nine, was it nine tries in the end? Yeah, five, five four. tries to four. You don't think you're going to come out the right side of that, but at the same time, you you knew we had to go and score tries because you definitely weren't going to come out this, the right side of a ninth. There just wouldn't have been a nine six. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen against New Zealand, so yeah. it's going to. I suppose by its nature, it's going to be, but, have to be high. The score. thing I was most satisfied with was at thirty three twenty nine. Our response, our it's not that our fence flagged for those three quick tries in a row. Um, I think they stepped it up more. So there was a couple of little errors, but um, that our defense clicked back in again to what it was like in the first half. And then we just solidified and the scrum and everything got going again. And it's just like normally there needs to be an injury or some some stoppage in the game for you to gather yourself or halftime or whatever it might be. There was none of those. It was a frantic pace. And yet Ireland just solidified again, got their base, got their, their basic rugby right. Yeah, and that's such a huge credit to our bench as well because that's what it is. I mean, in the last 20 minutes, the team that was out included six substitutes, was it? Or all seven. Either way... Ringrose didn't come yeah, on. Either way, it's like a huge... So it's not just, you know, the bare 15 guys that we've had, you know, the Paul O'Connell and Brian O'Driscoll get us out of a jam type situation. This is like 
22 players who can all take such a huge boost from what they've done. And that, like, as you said, like the last, there was a 10 minute period between the, New, the, the fourth New Zealand try and our last try. And we were just really professional in slowing it down however it had to be. A few stodgy resets of scrums, lineouts. We actually managed to take the sting out of it a little bit and then go ahead and win the game. Uh, ourselves, which is just so such a satisfying way to do it. Yeah, but I mean, I've been telling you for years that Joey Carberry should be the linchpin in the pivotal position in the last twenty minutes of a game against the All Blacks. This <laughs> You've been, I've been saying it for so long. This young You've been player, reading the Atai underage rugby yeah, form I've, lines. I've been right on top of it. Yeah, the stands at Soldier Field seem to be littered. I think with some very happy former Ireland internationals. One of them was Shane Horgan, who is ready to go. Shane, quite a day in Chicago. Yeah, I can tell you there was a few people, a few bodies littered around the town a little later on that evening <laughs> as well. It didn't, stop, it didn't stop when the game ended. Uh, but it was just such an incredible win. And um, it was so important. It's been so important. This has been such a, a monkey on our back for so long. And so that team, that group of individuals and that coach has done such a service uh, for everyone who will ever play for Ireland again. Because um, it, was a, it was a source of embarrassment um, during my time and beforehand, and now it's gone, and I think it changes it changes the narrative entirely for every other Irish team. And I'm not just talking about um, games against New Zealand, but I think even it, it it puts us in a better place going into every World Cup as well, because you can't win a World Cup if you haven't beaten one of the teams, and now we've done it. That's interesting that you think it's 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 that far reaching. It's not just a case of changing the dynamics somewhat between the two countries? No, I, well, listen, the dynamic has changed definitively and for all time, and which is fantastic and needed to do. And even if a slight level of uh, patriotism still remains, um, that's, that's not an issue. You know, we have now, we're not the team who's, who's never lost, who's never beaten New Zealand. We're the team who have beaten them. And that changes, um, it changes the d- dynamic between the two nations. But more than that, um, you know, if you want to be really, really successful and uh, as a team, and I give you the example of of Munster and Leinster, and actually even Ulster have done it more recently. Um, if you want to be successful in Europe, you have to go uh, and hit some milestones along the way, and that means generally you have to start winning all your home games, or you have to get a win away. Uh, Connacht have hit some of these, done some of these things recently as well. The big victory down in, in Toulouse a, a couple of years ago. So these are markers for later success, and I think they allow you to achieve other things. And without them, it's almost impossible. Um, and I think our one of those big things was Ireland beating New Zealand, and now they've they've done it. And, they've been, and also they've beaten them well. Yeah. You know, that wasn't it wasn't a lucky win. It wasn't a scrape win. It wasn't. Scrabby. I know very early on when we were trying to, um, you know, be the first side to, to beat Australia for a long time when I was playing. Um, we, you know, we really jammed out that result. It was, it was pouring rain. We kicked the leather off the ball. You know, we didn't play any rugby. That wasn't the case. That was not the case this weekend. We took on New Zealand and we deconstructed them technically, without a doubt of doubt. We our game plan was much better than them. Our skill level was higher than them uh, on Saturday. 
And uh, every time I just look at that result, you know, 40 points on them, it's a huge, huge victory. Yeah, it's amazing. I think we're only the, it's only the sixth time in their history that they've conceded 40 points in a game. So I think that alone is pretty impressive. The, all the players and management were being asked afterwards about the phase in the game when New Zealand got those three tries, got back into it, got to within four points of the Irish lead and whether or not the memories of 2013 and, to be honest, our entire history were, were starting to come back into their minds. What was it like in the stands there? Was there a feeling at that stage of dread that, that, that even though we're four points up, it looks like we're going to lose this again? Definitely, you know, yeah. and that's, but that's, that's demonstrating something about me and demonstrating maybe something about the other maybe past players or some of the media because that's, that's, what, that's what our expression was. I think that shows more about us than it shows about the players because, and maybe it's one of the reasons that we never got over the line. Uh, any team before this one has never gotten over the line because that sense of dread, and I've, I've played in teams against New Zealand where I thought we were going to win, and then a couple of things happen, and it, it's all of a sudden it slipped away, and it's almost like it's inevitable. But these things aren't inevitable. They're only inevitable if you allow them to be so. And the mental fortitude that the players the weekend showed to go through a really tricky period. I think it was that between you know 52 minutes and uh, 57 minutes, they scored those two tries really quickly. Um, and it was almost a, oh, listen, we've, we've, we've read this script before. We know what happens here. Wasn't it great that um, they put up, uh, it wasn't even so they put up a good performance. It was kind of, I was, I was kind of getting annoyed. I was like, oh, how are New Zealand doing this? How do they always find a way to win? But they didn't find a way to win. Uh, we did. And I think that holds us in good stead as well. Does this, in a way, say more positive things about Ireland than the Grand Slam, uh, given that it's against the best team in the world and, and a team people were saying could be the best international team of all time? Um, no, I don't think that. I, you know, it's, it's still a one-off. It was still a one-off game. And then it's a test match. Uh, but like a Grand Slam, we hadn't won it for you know donkey's years. Um, and uh, it's a, you know it's a tournament. You get a cup at the end of it. So I, you know, I think although we're still basking in this glow of such an amazing uh, victory, um, you know, I wouldn't compare it against a, a, a Six Nations or a Grand Slam. Um, and I think that's what we need to challenge ourselves as well in our thinking here um, and not get sucked into that. Uh, and maybe that's one of the reasons we hadn't done it so far either, because we were putting it on, uh, you know, on this insane level to beat New Zealand. Uh, and it gets... Uh, and it, it shouldn't be like that, but it was. And, and that's because history was ground you down. The good thing about it now is, you know, it'll never be like that again. Um, and because of that, it, it makes it, you know, certainly more easy and more certain that it's, you know, it's, it's entirely certain it's not going to be another 118 years or however it is again. Uh, before Ireland uh, beat the All Blacks again. That's just not going to be the case. How was it that we got to that pitch, Shane, given that it was our first game of the season? New Zealand had had this record-breaking year already, and Joe Schmidt was talking after the game about the fact that there was very little training done, really, up until Thursday, at which point they had a great session. Well, it was a real Joe Schmidt-type quote. He praised the players for having arrived at a session on Thursday with all their homework done and uh, ready to put on a, a, a confidence-boosting kind of a training session, which shows that there was actually pressure on training a couple of days before the game because we had no benchmark. It was our first game of the season. How do you think we actually came up with such a, or I should say maybe executed uh, the plan so well? Well, the execution of the plan is the more interesting aspect of it because it was executed really um, accurately and there was there was very few mistakes. But Joe is is fantastic. Whatever for being a great coach, he also knows how to to play things down. He knows how to say the right thing, especially in in victory. 
but the, what was so obvious in that was that the analysis that had been done on that New Zealand team was in-depth and it was perfect. And um, Joe really gave Hansen a bit of a lesson when it came to, uh, when it came to coaching. He knew exactly uh, where to go after them. He made a couple of um, changes to the way Ireland played, so their their uh, defensive line was maybe a little bit tighter um, than than normal. They weren't hugely uh, aggressive on the ground, or they didn't put in loads of numbers at ruck time. They wanted to get more people in the defensive line, and they didn't allow New Zealand those big gaps uh, to run through. Now, we saw when New Zealand got going a little bit, that's where they really hurt Ireland. They run in between players and they get their hands free and they got an offload, which is very, very hard to stop. Are really explosive uh, players, and that's a very natural. It's a sort of a, they're very good, probably the best team in the world by a long way of beating a player one on one. But uh, but if but they rely on that so much, they don't have a complex game plan. If you saw uh, with Ireland, their game plan was more sophisticated. But um, for the New Zealand game plan to work. You, they, you need almost perfect accuracy. And they normally have that. They're normally almost perfect in their skill set. They weren't this time around. Ireland, it was very obvious that it was, this was a much more um, concise team performance. Uh, I told you about the defensive system. The, the fact that they went after them in the malls. We've seen Ireland do that before. The, line, um, the, the mall off line out worked really well. Um, and I think um, we saw that they challenged around the pillars as well. That something that maybe you, you wouldn't have expected um, New Zealand to come up with a mistake. So, you know, all in all, there wasn't too many um, there wasn't too many areas where Ireland got it wrong. And I think, you know, the players are fantastic. And I hate you know heaping so much praise on Joe Smith because you know you're it's the players that get you over the line. But that was some tactical performance by him. Tactical uh, nest that was shown was incredible. Were you surprised by some of the individual performances on show? Rob Carney hadn't been in form. Um, Simon Zebo had maybe his best ever game for Ireland. CJ Stander the same. Uh, Tyke Furlong coming in, to, you know, only a few caps under his belt. There were so many guys who seemed to have nearly their best ever game for Ireland. Really, really so. And, you know, if you look at the back of where this performance came from, it's, hardly, it's very hard to draw a line between what's going on at the moment in the Pro 12 and even Europe and the standard of performance, and the standard of individual performance, and what we saw at the, the weekend. It was these players, you know, some of them, as you said, played the best game they've played maybe ever, but certainly for a long time. Rob Carney, in particular, was like was like watching Rob from five years ago. I haven't seen him play that well in five years. I really haven't. CJ Stander, his work rate was incredible, and we have seen more of that from him, but he just took it to another level. And uh, Conor Murray was just so good, it was scary. You know, he's proper world-class at everything he does. Um, and the energy levels that the Irish players showed, I think um, I was listening to Ali Williams last week and he was talking about you know, New Zealand fitness maybe having uh, being the difference. And if anything, it was Ireland's fitness uh, was the difference. They looked very, very fresh. Um, a couple of moments in particular, the amount of work that... Uh, Henshaw was doing. He was all over the park. And then again, that Murray who uh, tackled behind the, uh, the, the the New Zealand try line as well. Yeah. I don't know where he came from or uh, where he got the energy from that at that period of the game, but it made a significant difference. And you're right. There was, you know, the tactics that Joe used, it, it did play to our strengths, but the execution was really good. We completely dominated a very strong New Zealand team in the air as well. So every element of our tactics that we tried to that we uh, imposed on New Zealand were the right ones, but 
that's fine if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't then uh, execute them properly. Um, then it doesn't matter how good your game plan is. But that's what we did. We executed our game plan really well. And I think a really good demonstration of, of that was uh, for the Conor Murray try also. Like that looked like Conor Murray just taking a bit of a chance and, and beating the pillar on the inside. But if you look at the setup before it, there was a perfect pod outside. Uh, Dunica Ryan ran a fantastic line, holding not just the uh, the pillar defender. He, he, he interested the pillar defender, so he took a side left, but also the, the first defender after the pillar defender. So his line interested two uh, interested two New Zealand players, which you could not ask more for. Then you had Devon Toner in the boot position in behind for a flick in, holding the other side of the uh, of the New Zealand line as well. So that then left a little bit of a space for Conor Murray to go through, which he did brilliantly. So, you know, that seems like something that's off the cuff. And Flair, we're always talking about why don't Ireland show more Flair. But that's, that's often what Flair is. People making the right decision when everybody is doing their job excellently. And Ireland did that time after time after time at the weekend. Yeah, it's interesting to talk about those kind of moves. Like the, um, the final try, Henshaw's try, apparently was a move that was cooked up for the first test against South Africa. That was where Schmidt had planned to <laughs> unveil that one. And they didn't get a chance. I just didn't get a, I guess I didn't get a scrum in the right position. Whereas this time they were they were given a shot at it, so it's just amazing that that these moves are kind of ready to go for the players if they can execute them, and then for the players to go and do it at that stage of the game when a lot of other teams, as you said, historically would have hung on, they managed to get themselves into a position to execute that. Yeah, now they executed. Number one, they made the right call. You know, they made the right call. They were they had the, the presence of mind to go. This is the right call in this position. But the other thing about making that call is. The dog in the street knew that was going to Robbie Henshaw. You know, everybody knew. It was, everyone in the stadium knew that was going to Robbie Henshaw. Everyone in the stands did. The New Zealand guys had to have known it was going. But because everybody executed their lines so well, and then what Robbie Henshaw did was kind of remarkable as well, getting over from there. It was, you know, it was, there was a bit of space, and, you know, everyone did help him out in the way they executed their role for that. But the actual, to get, to get over it, the physicality that he needed, the strength and the and the and the power to get over that line that was incredible as well. And remember, they're making everybody's running those lines uh, off the back of you know however many minutes it was, seventy five minutes of massive exertion. And uh, you know when you're in that position, fatigue mistakes often come into it. You get a little bit lazy, not even physically, but like your mind gets a little bit lazy, so you don't run exactly the right line you're meant to do, or you don't find the right player uh, to interest. But they all did that. And uh, it was that was that was a really really impressive round off to a really impressive um, performance by Henshaw. He he's you know we've been talking about him for a while now. He's looked like the heir apparent, and he's looked like the guy who's going to be the next big superstar. And it was a superstar performance uh, within a within a team of, of of superstar performances. Yeah, Conor Murray got ten out of ten in the Irish Times Player Ratings, uh, which is the most scientific barometer of any of this. Shane, I'm sure you're a massive fan of the player ratings. It's, yeah, it's well, all listen, ask Frankie, ask Frankie Sheehan. I remember Frankie got a one one time. <laughs> we were all that we definitely. This is the barometer that we should all do. <laughs> uh, just to go back to Carney for a second, because you said that's the best you've seen him play in years, and I think everyone would probably agree with that I suppose a question is why it isn't happening more regularly for him but he has had injuries uh, Schmidt apparently pulled him aside before the game and told him you need a big one today not 
I have faith, you know, not you're the man. I know there's something there for you. It's it's I've picked you and you need a big one today. <laughs> and he says he got his confidence that even during the game, he says, where's the quote from? He said, I've been waiting for a spark, something for so long. And this week I just said, don't wait, just go and try and make something ha- happen shackle free. Uh, if you remember the catch, he took over Ben Smith. He talked that a bit, about that as a moment. And then, of course, the brilliant uh, sort of line break, uh, beating a few players to set up CJ Standards try, I think it was, wasn't it? So it, it's I'm sure, sure you've been in that position on the pitch chain where you're kind of, needing to make something happen and uh, it hasn't happened enough for Carney in recent years. No, and also that's not always the right thing to say every to every player as well. And that's why you know Joe has this you know innate ability to to get performances out of people. He knew that was the right thing to say to Carnes and it could have been his reaction or the reaction of another player could have been you know to to freeze up a bit. But it wasn't it was exactly the opposite and it's interesting that uh, he verbalised that after um, after the game because that's it looked exactly what it was. He looked like a guy that was like, well, you know what, I, I'm not. I'm going to go down swinging here, and I'm going to ex- try and express myself, and I'm going to take on players. And I think um, a couple of things with Rob. Number one, like his injury profile has been really poor over the last while, and it's very difficult to to you know sort of play the way you want to when you have those ongoing issues. But secondly, I think he was almost overshackled by the idea of being this uh, calm. Uh, cool collective uh, presence at the back of the field at 15 and instead of that obviously if his mind changed if he says his mindset changed a little bit um, he wanted touches and that was that's really what I want to see from Rob Carney because he, I know you know how good an athlete he is you know how talented he is so I want to see him getting on the ball as often as he can and taking chances as often as he, he, he can and when he does that you can see that is how good his game is and I think there was a real he was a real leader in that regard as well he inspired a lot of players to you know to take on the men to try and go for that gap to do something different and I think uh, playing against New Zealand can sometimes be a little inhibited inhibiting like that you 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 know because you build them up so much in your own mind we've all grown up in New Zealand and it's a problem with you know I think it's a problem with the way they get uh, refereed as well we all sort of have them on this pedestal even the fact we call them the All Blacks, they get to do the, the hacker beforehand. You know, it's, and that's a new hacker. You know, it's not as if it's been a tradition for ages. I've never seen that hacker before. <laughs> yeah. So we allow them, we give them these extra um, advantages because it's New Zealand, you know, and we don't penalise them as much. You know, they don't get as many yellow cards as everybody else. All these things happen. And it's a reason why they can continue on their success at such a level. And it's a reason why players don't always play their best against them. But, Rob, I think, really did inspire, and then that was taken up and run by, with by by the rest of the by the rest of the team. We saw some performances that I I just haven't seen from Irish players um, playing uh, for their club, uh, you know, for a very long time, and and you know it it sort of reinforces the idea that uh, you know we need to demand even more uh, of ourselves in in our provinces as well because uh, we've got some bloody good players. Do you think we've done the game a bit of a favour here in that New Zealand have won two World Cups in a row, they were on this record-breaking run, they were putting 60 points up against you know, the second or third best teams in the world. It was almost as if they were stretching away and kind of breaking the sport a little bit and other games felt a little bit irrelevant because you knew New Zealand were lurking there, playing the game on another level. And then, well, certainly in my mind, it sort of, this game smashed that whole perception. It did, and it's good. You know, I think we needed it as well. I think everybody needed because it was getting a bit predictable. It's getting a bit boring, and also you kind of get narrow in in the way you you see things. You think, 
you just you 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 know even as a commentator i'm looking to i i thought new zealand were going to you know win quite comfortably but what was my thought process behind that you know maybe i wasn't thinking and analyzing things quite as 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 deeply or as accurately as i should I, you start only seeing the positives in new zealand now listen don't get me wrong i think new zealand are an, an insane team i think they're the the likelihood is that um i'd be surprised if ireland beats them in in a couple of weeks time again but they are, they are, uh, we were getting to the point where we thought that they were invincible, and no team is. And that will have shaken them up a little bit. It definitely will. Um, and we saw that when they were, re- when they were challenged, their skill set isn't perfect, you know. When they're challenged, when pressure comes on, they make mistakes, and they made loads of mistakes. And we can say that's down to a bad day, but you know what, it's not, it was a down to a bad day because Ireland made it a bad day for them. I know they missed their two second rows, and I think that's that's you know does have an effect on them as well. But you know we were missing guys as well, so um, I do think we've done uh, you know th- we've done ourselves first and foremost a favour. But we've also had every other team in the world look at New Zealand slightly different because it was getting to the stage where it was listen the the narrative was these guys are unbeatable, and if you stay within twenty points of them, you've done great. And there's a competition for them, and there's a competition for the rest of the world. So you know, I think we have. Uh, I think we have done everyone a favour. Shane, we ended that game with Joey Carberry uh, at out half. Played senior cup rugby only two years ago. Uh, we talked about Henshaw, uh, Tyke Furlong, Zebo, Connor Murray. This is quite a young team. Um, how sustainable is this? Do you do you think we're at that level all the time? Um, can those players maintain it? No, we're not at the level all the time, um, and I think there is a disconnect to, to what we've seen with our um, uh, provinces. Um, Connacht aside last year, actually, um, but aside from that, you know, there's not a huge amount of Connacht involvement in this Irish squad. So, I think we're seeing that we have, you know, excellent players who can play at a very, very high level, but we don't do that every week, and uh, I think um, there's, there's, you know, there's concerns um, because of that. Uh, and the fact that we did get to that, you know, we got to the level of, of skill and accuracy that we did, and, and tactical, uh, sorry, a tactical nest that we did at the weekend is fantastic. But you know, I think it's much more likely that we'll have more days like that if we're playing consistently at a really high level in Europe and in you know the Pro 12 every weekend, and we're not doing that. So we 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 got to be careful. We do have to be mindful of the fact that um, you know we, we need to up our performance consistently to to allow us to consistently um, compete against against the best sides in the world. Yeah, sounds good. We might as well enjoy this one, though, for a few more days, or at least another week or so. Listen, Shane, bring stuff. Thanks a minute. Thanks a minute, guys. Oh, I'm feeling it. Just, the more I talk about this game, the better I feel. I don't think this is going to flag for quite a while. Just uh, talking about Henshaw's try in particular. And Shane is right. I presume they knew... Like, uh, I was given the coaching team, I guess, credit for coming up with this play. But, I mean, it was nothing particularly... You know, you don't have to watch that much rugby to see that this is a reasonably obvious thing to do for your number eight to pick it off a scrum and to yeah. give it to your you mean one of your strongest ball carriers coming at an angle like that. Yeah, the fact that they couldn't stop it though is, it came yeah. off the back of every other Irish player doing his job right for all those seventy nine minutes or whatever it was up to that point because the scrum had been so rock solid. 
you know, what we were doing in the center or passing out why it had been working or chips wide. Everything else was working. So they had to worry about every variable. It was such an overall combined performance by Ireland in that our mall, line out, scrum, running play, king play, all those things were good. So New Zealand were worried about everything. So they had to mark everything. So therefore, there was space for when we chose the, the vital move that we chose. Yeah, and as, as Shane said there, I mean, sometimes you think kind of in a binary sense about a move, you know, the, oh, the, the pass goes to the receiver and the receiver runs the right angle and that's right. But actually, there's a degree, there are degrees of execution in every single move. So it's not just Jamie Heathfield picks the ball up and, you know, gives it back to Henshaw on an angle. He has to pick it up at the right time. He has to interest, as Shane said, mm. which is such a great word. He has to interest the right defenders who will be in the, their, their position. He has to get all of that right. And then Henshaw has to get everything right, not just catch the ball, but catch the ball and run the ball at the exact right angle at the exact right player mm. to give himself the best chance to get over the line. And that's it. You know what I mean? It's It's not just... It either one hundred percent comes off or it's zero percent doesn't come off. You sometimes you just have to be like ninety five percent or a hundred percent right in everything you do to give yourself a chance to get over the line. Yeah, I was talking to Mark Horgan, our producer, about the game afterwards and Henshaw in particular and how he he's sort of like a nineteen eighties rugby player combined with a twenty sixteen Joe Schmidt formula type player <laughs> in that he has all that passion and like following Donald Lennon, those boys back in the day where he just is gung ho and hell for leather and passionate and really obvious in his face and looks really happy and yet he follows all the systems and and does his job and hits rooks and um, the way he carries the ball it kind of he's, he's almost like he arrows down and forward at the same time and you just can't the, the defender can't get at a bit of his body he's almost guaranteed sort of three or four yards at speed and really quick rook ball and that's such a like a, an amazing asset to have in your team. By the way, I love hearing how delighted, how obviously and genuinely thrilled former players are about this change just there. You, you'd sense the enthusiasm. Gordon Darcy on TV and we spoke to Darcy last week. He, mm. he was keeping the faith uh, yeah. unlike, unlike you Simon I'll, I'll stop now <laughs> uh, yeah, like, you know, he just felt that there had to be that you can't go on forever being as fully focused as New Zealand have been for the last uh, 18 games or whatever it was and you're going to drop the ball a little bit at some stage which they did you, you probably saw the Ron O'Gara photograph himself and Dan Carter you know just this little sort of stage yeah. photograph but just O'Gara looking boyishly delighted <laughs> as he tends to do in victory Paul O'Connell and Doug, Doug Howlett seemingly cheering for Ireland yeah. at the game good man Doug uh, and it was also the, the fact that O'Connell kind of he had the sort of fist up, but it wasn't a, gen- a general kind of fist. It looked like he was specifically, obviously had seen, the, the players must have seen him or something, but he was definitely like aiming his well done at yeah, somebody. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Somebody, it's just great because obviously a lot of those players deserve to be involved in a day like this. But as Shane said, listen, that's, that's it. They didn't get over the line. They didn't have the belief or whatever it was when it came to the crunch. Well, that was it. This team felt like it learned from all those horrible experiences in the past. It wasn't just, you know, this performance plucked out of nowhere. It was a continuation of where we've been going against New Zealand 2012, 2013, and now this. Yeah, and watching O'Connell, actually, if we could literally st- sit here all day and talk about the each individual's journey to last Saturday, how amazing it was. But Dunnick Ryan, just briefly, for Dunnick Ryan oh, yeah. to be on that team, after all that he's gone through... And oh, like, his career was on the brink. Yeah, like uh, on a number of... With games, injuries, I mean. Yeah, you would say that, that you know, it would be a huge surprise to see Dunnick Ryan back in an Ireland jersey... You'd have said that on numerous occasions over the last two or three years. And for him to be there, and if you watch all of the post-match stuff... The <laughs> Walk IRFU, slowly, lads. Yeah, the IRFU put out a video today of like kind of five minutes of the build-up and then the aftermath and everything, and Dunnick Ryan is just stuck in the middle of everything, just 
unbelievably deliriously happy. Like this is kind of you know he. This, this is career-defining for a lot of these guys, and that's what just makes it so special. Listeners have demanded the head of Ali Williams. Here it is. Ali, how are you? Very, very good. Demanded the head. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> what for? No, okay, yeah. I haven't done anything. I know. Yeah. In, fact, in fact, you were actually too polite to give a precise score or prediction because you said you were burned by that one in the past. So I'd say uh, you're probably glad enough now that you didn't give us an exact prediction. No, no. You've got to, um, you know, you've got to believe in what you believe in pre-match, but then at the end of the at the end of the day, I did say that sport is sport and uh, you never know the results. And hey, it's what a week, really. I would have uh, loved to be in uh, in Chicago and Ireland. I mean, it would have it would have gone off. Guinness sales would have gone through the roof. But uh, like um, like most rugby men, at, at the end of the day, it's the best team won and deserved champions. Yeah, champions, yeah. We'll call it that. Champions of a one-off fixture for the time being. I know, I, know, I noticed uh, Steve Hansen was talking afterwards and he said Ireland were outstanding. They thoroughly deserved the win. It makes up for the last one, which they should have won as well. Full credit to Ireland and I hope they fully enjoy their victory. Uh, certainly, is that a trait that you guys would pride yourselves on, that the odd time you do lose a match, that you're magnanimous in victory where possible? Yeah, definitely. I think the, the reality is that, um, you know, you're not invincible. And things um, things can happen in terms of other teams can be better than you on the day, and you know you've got to be gracious in victory, but also also gracious in defeat because um, you know you've got to give credit to, to to teams that play really well and and, and excited and, and win. So look, it's a, I think it's more characteristic of the people that we try and breed in the All Blacks rather than a than a mindset that um, you know you've got to say things when you lose. So. Hopefully, more a judge of the characters within the team rather than the, the actual sort of team mindset. Mm. Would it be one of the greatest shocks, though, in New Zealand's history? Well, I don't know about shock. I think, look, more than anything, I think the record is is the big shock um, for such a dominant um, rugby nation as an island. And then, you know, when something like that changes, uh, was it 111 years? Was it? Yep. Something? Yeah, 111. Um, yep. yep. I mean, of course, it's a, it's a, sh- it's it's a shock, but it's also that's the reality of um, of professional sports nowadays. I mean, all teams can win. So, uh, look, I, I think it, it would hammer home a lot more than losing to the bigger nations, though, would it not? Well, losing to Ireland because you're such great people um, fits a lot better than losing to uh, <laughs> Australia or something like that. Um, but uh, look. It, I just think it's great for rugby. Um, you know, take the take the fact that you want the All Blacks to win all the time. It's just good for rugby as in as in America, and you know, people now see that you know it's it's such a great game competed by uh, so many great people on the field and off the field, and and the rivalry still still stands strong even after defeats. We're already slightly concerned about what might happen in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, if we've learned anything about New Zealand, I presume the team isn't going to take this lying down. Should, should we be a little bit worried? I can see where you're going here, but look, the beauty of uh, <laughs> come on, Ali, give the us All Blacks, yeah, yeah. The beauty of the All Blacks position is they've got a chance um, to right the wrongs in, in two weeks, which is which is quite rare and unique on a on a tour like this. So. Um, Look, I would say um, on one element it's going to be a good thing because it, it just recorrects your, your mental state as a team. Um, and then for them, you know, it's, it's exciting three weeks ahead to try and sort of show people that this was, wouldn't say 
a once-off, but but a, a situation where you've always got to be mentally ready to to play international football. You're obviously in Paris at the moment, uh, Ali. In general, do you think for a defeat like this, the public? Uh, well, particularly after New Zealand have been so brilliant for so long that the public will go reasonably easy on them. I mean, the public back home in New Zealand, I, like, I presume they won't get too badly hammered or anything for losing one game, or will they? Well, no. I, I general, there will be, be some people that come out and, and say things, but uh, no, I think it'll be all right. I think the general public will be, um, well, I wouldn't say frustrated, but, you know, we want to win every match. That's that doesn't change it. But um, I, I think generally the public quite supportive. Um, look, I just think it's a good thing. You know, you can't have one team winning all the time. Um, as long as we win the the real important ones, the trophies and things like that, that's that's a good thing. But um, hey, if we can help the Irish out, it's perfect. Because. You know, in the past, um, in shock defeats, the New Zealanders haven't necessarily dealt with it that well. I'm thinking of the World Cup quarterfinal against France in Cardiff, and the ref was blamed, and a few other people were blamed. And I don't know, this time it it seems a lot more healthy. I think it was more directed at at some of the reasons why we we might not have won that game. Um, Remember, I lived through it for four years. It was painful, (laughs) extremely painful. And Wayne Barnes is still a great mate of mine, but he still hasn't said sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, hey, look, I think, to be honest with you, I think the the New Zealand public will look at it and generally everyone will say, hey, Irish played better rugby that day and, and that's why they won and let's give them credit rather than take it away from the Irish team. And that's, and that's what should happen. If, if you beat a team and you play better, then you should get the credit rather than the other team um, you know, saying it was it was a poor performance by us. So. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just let's just hope that Guinness is all refueled for another two weeks. Ali, we've had a, we've got a couple of New Zealanders involved, obviously with Ireland, most notably the head coach Joe Schmidt. How yep. high is his stock in New Zealand at the moment? Is this the kind of thing that would nudge him towards getting ultimately getting the I guess what the dream job would be would be the New Zealand co- head coach's job? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, results speak louder than words, so. Uh, you keep getting results like this, then you have to obviously sit up and notice them. Look, I think the the key element for these guys that are aspiring to be all black coaches is there's, they're still going to need to come home and, and do their time there before they get straight into the all black position. I think that's just mm-hmm. generally what they do. I mean, Graham Henry did it, um, Steve Hansen did it. So, um, you know, it's up to them whether they want to come back. And, and coach at the lower level to then be selected and as as the All Black coach. But um, hey, look, I, I've been under Joe Smith. Um, he's a great coach. He, he knows his he knows his game very very well. Um, and look, this is just another reward for someone that deserves it, who who's passionate about rugby and, and offering the world, not just Irish rugby, the world of rugby, um, a lot. You know, when he first came into Irish rugby, he seemed like an unassuming sort of a character. He had been an assistant coach, largely a backs coach uh, in France with Claremont. He came over to Leinster and I remember him giving me interviews at the time and talking about being almost like, well, I'll give this a shot. Like, you know, it's as though I'll, I'll, I'll see how it goes. If it doesn't work I'm not sure I'm a head coach. I'm not sure I'm really a head coach, you know. So he kind of gave off this affable, almost under underwhelming vibe a little bit at the start. And now we've seen, certainly in Irish rugby, that, that he's a very ambitious guy and he clearly knows what he's at. When you said you worked with him before, did you sense that at the time? 
Yeah, he was very understated. Um, he'd go about his job, and as you say, he wasn't a head coach, so um, the buck sort of lies with the head coach. But uh, look, he knows his rugby. Um, he prefers that his results speak louder than his words, and yeah, I wouldn't be fooled by the. It's almost like the Kiwi mentality that you know you don't say too much. You just go about and personally understand and back yourself mm-hmm. internally, but you don't need to sing from the rafters in terms of what you think or what you're hoping to do. And I think that's what he's done. And he knows he's a very capable coach and, and can change things, which which he's doing. So. Um, He'll be getting more and more comfortable with with the head roll, and um, you know, the Irish have, have proved that with with some of the results. Well, uh, yeah, we're happy with him, all right. I probably shouldn't be touting him for the All Blacks job. <laughs> I think we just keep him over here for the next few years. Yeah. Listen, Andy Williams, brilliant to talk to you. Thanks so many yeah. for taking the call again. Hey, no problems, lads, and uh, congratulations to uh, to the Irish rugby team and uh, and all the Irish supporters of us to buy them for all those years. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second cap, first cap, whatever. Richie Sadler's here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Yeah, so uh, very magnanimous stuff there from Ali, I think. They're certainly very good losers. Oh, as you alluded to, Simon, maybe they didn't lose particularly graciously back in the, was it 2011 World Cup you mentioned there? 2007 against France. 2007 against France, sorry, of course. And all the previous World Cup losses, they came up with some external reason for their loss. But So just when they lose to Ireland, they're great losers, it turns out. The well, one time that they've lost Ireland, they've been amazing losers. Uh, well, they they have a hundred percent record of that. Yes, that's, <laughs> they've that's no true. experience of losing in recent times, so they haven't had to practice it. But it kind of reminds me the way Kilkenny, when they lose, they suddenly have huge dignity about it and speak really well. But the front page of the New Zealand Herald has a picture of Jamie Heaslip holding up the Irish flag, saying "Congratulations, Ireland! Welcome to the drought-breaking class of 2016." With pictures of the Cubs, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Leicester, and all all sorts of uh, all the other teams that have broken uh, records in this weird year 2016 uh, that we've had. Chris Ratu, who's kind of the main columnist over in New Zealand with the New Zealand Herald, said there's a new rugby rivalry in town. First Dublin 2013, now this. Forget England, forget the Lions. The hottest rugby ticket is New Zealand versus Ireland. And who can wait for the Dublin rematch? Ireland are an excellent chance to make it two in a row. And News Hub's Jim Case, just to give you one other example, and this was the tone throughout. I was really impressed by it. Uh, Jim Case says, as much as Ireland deserve praise for the performance at Soldier Field, so to the so too do they deserve thanks for injecting life back into the international game. Sport needs to be a contest. The result should be in doubt. Hit it. That's right, you're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there? I got the potatoes and the puccine. Huh? And the puccine. Oh, yeah, there you are. Bone and bread, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a place called Navin. So, thank you to all of our listeners for the recent upsurge in Pierce Brosnan Emigrant Shoutouts. You're a credit to the entire organisation, I think I can I, I can speak uh, frankly. And in this week, where a whole legion of Irish men and women outdid themselves on foreign fields, it's only right, right that we hear now from Chicago. Lisa Brennan writes, Dear Second Captains, long-time listener, first-time P-Bazwer. I've waited so long for my P-Bazwer opportunity, I knew it had to be different, epic even. So flying to Chicago from our current home in Florida to watch Ireland play the All Blacks seemed to fit the bill. 
winning wasn't a necessity for an epic pre battle, but I think you'll agree it adds a certain cachet. Soaking up the atmosphere post-game, we came across the Irish flag family, which is three people, all of them wearing overalls, one green, one white, one orange, uh, along with the legendary Irish and British and Irish Lions prop, Mr. Paul Wallace. Let's just say that Wally was feeling no pain at all at this point, and informed me, I think, that he was commandeering my new green wig. What an honour to be robbed by one of Ireland's greatest following, uh, one of Ireland's greatest ever performances. Life is good. Yours, Lisa, on the left of the picture, and my partner, Mary, is on the right. P.S. When are you bringing back the Jimmy Nesbitt slot? All in uh, good time. He said, the next time he pops his head out of where whatever hole he's in at the moment, uh, we will endeavour to bring you that news. Thank you, Lisa. And you, of course, I mean, she definitely gets extra points. for Oh, yeah. Including a Wallace brother as well. Sure, it wasn't David, <laughs> but it could have been worse. It could have been Richie. So we'll take it. Maddie Williams is ready to go from, from Australia, Maddie. You said last week in the Irish Times that at the core of New Zealand's success is superior thinking and planning. Do you think they got outthought this weekend? I thought the thinking from the Irish team was absolutely first class. Um, they've really done their homework on the New Zealanders. Uh, you know, everything from the from the the shifting of the line out where they were were sh- as we would say shearing the line out around the corner to even Robbie Henshaw's try where Jamie Heaslip just ran across the field and did a simple switch and the whole New Zealand back row was still scrummaging as they tend to do uh, and they found a hole to go through. I thought it was superb uh, thinking and planning from Joe Schmidt and his team. There's absolutely no way that you could say anything that the New Zealanders were outthought and outplayed on every aspect. It was, uh, geez, it was great. It was wonderful, <laughs> absolutely it, wonderful. Did it change your opinion on Schmidt at all? Uh, no, mate, not at all. I mean, I, 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 see, I think coaches have uh, are, uh, have form, like players. And uh, I'm great to see Joe get his mojo back, but I have no doubt during the World Cup that he, he left the principles that made him a great coach. He left his own principles. And, uh, you, you know, certainly it was evident in you, in South Africa and uh, also here in New Zealand that he's, he's gone back to what he what he does best and getting the team to do what they do best. And I, I, I'm delighted. I never wanted to see Joe Schmidt, uh, to criticise Joe Schmidt as to get rid of him. But he was out of form and he, he wasn't coaching the way that I'd seen him coach and love watching the teams that he coaches. And uh, we, we're all open to that sort of criticism. I certainly never raised my voice in a personal issue against Joe. But uh, I think if you watched the Irish team in the World Cup and watched the Irish team in their last four internationals, or even the World Cup and the Six Nations, then you watch them in the last four internationals. It's a very different side, being coached a very different way, and sure. I applaud it. But you, you, know, you did say that the embarrassing hero worship at the altar of Joe Schmidt must end. Uh, is it not more mm. the case that Irish, that Irish rugby supporters and media were cutting Joe a bit of slack uh, for you know, one blip in his management and that everything that happened before the World Cup and since has been absolutely astonishing? He's making history every, every year, it seems. Well, Simon, you've just got to be honest. That's my... You've just got to say what you're seeing, you know, and you don't say, oh, look, I'm not going to say what I'm seeing because it's Joe Schmidt or Matt Williams or whoever it is that's there. You've got to just say what you're seeing. It's not personal. It's not aggressive. It's it's just what it is. And Ireland had played poorly for 15 months. And you have to say that. You have to say, look, we all know Joe Schmidt's a fantastic coach and great person, but they're not playing well. And they've gone away from their principles and the selections aren't right. But, but, you know, when they come back and they play well, you just 
be honest and say, look, they're playing great. That's fantastic. You know, it's not politics. It's not. It's not like uh, I always say. We get caught up a bit with with coaching, and I always find this. I remember being on the front page of a, the, the Sydney Morning Herald with a politician who evaded tax and a mass murderer, and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, I'm just coaching a rugby side here. You know, it's just rugby. It's just a game. And the Irish team weren't playing well. Now they are. That's great. And and when they weren't, just just say it dead straight down the line, and and uh, everyone's happy. If coaches do go through form like players, as you say, obviously isn't down to their body or technique or anything like that. So it's down to their philosophy, presumably changing. And in what way would you say Joe's philosophy has changed then? I'd put in pressure there as well. Uh, I felt the World Cup and the pressure of the World Cup and the demands of, of or the expectations of the Irish people, uh, which are very high. Uh, you know, when I, I, I'm, I'm sort of in an unusual situation now, Simon, when I'm, I'm living back in Australia after living in Europe for, you know, almost 15 years. And every time I walk into Ireland, you know, around rugby time, I'm amazed at, at how much pressure they are putting on the team and expectations. And, and sometimes that's justified and sometimes it's not. Um, and I felt that the World Cup that Joe was really affected by the pressure and, and you just saw his body language and the way he was talking to the media and even things I said where I criticised, um, you know, I didn't think that he should have picked, picked Jared Payne at outside centre. And I know that there were people from the IRFU coming back saying, you know, what's Matt doing? I'm going, oh, boys, boys, what's, what are you getting cross at me for? I'm just, I've got an opinion about who should be at outside centre, relax. I felt the whole thing was very uh, pressurised for him. And in many ways, stepping away from that, there's no pressure uh, going to South Africa. And the guys played magnificently. They probably lost a great opportunity in South Africa to win the series in that second test where they were just all over them. But there was no pressure because no one expected them to win. And in the same breath, going to New- to uh, Chicago, no one expected that scoreline. No one picked it. You know, they had a chance. Of course they had a chance. They played very well against New Zealand in past games. And New Zealand were probably... At, at you know with a few injuries, lots of travel. They've been to Argentina, and you know they've got a horrific travel agenda in this this November series. They might have been a little bit distracted. That's not no, that's not Ireland's fault. That's New Zealand's fault. But there was no pressure, and I certainly felt that the, the team played like that and have played like that since the Six Nations. Yeah, Matty, it's one of the reasons we like talking to you because you're in a unique position in that you live so far away, but you're as connected Irish rugby as it's possible to be while living in a separate hemisphere and you follow it and you have that focus. And then, so from your remove, how do you rate this current, the style of play, if you see it as a change of style? Um, how are we suddenly scoring so many more tries? It, it can't be just philosophy. Is it a change of personnel or what would you put it down to? Um, it's, it's a great question, uh, Simon. But if, if you looked at who scored the tries... You looked at we, we we had Simon Zubo scoring out wide. We had we had uh, Connor Murray going straight through the centre. We had mauling tries. We had a try from Robbie Henshaw that's a switch with an eight twelve on the fringes. So we're scoring right across the park. The whole length of the the New Zealand try line, uh, Ireland crossed that line in the corner, in the middle, and through the mauling. And then a nice tight one. I mean, that's really great. That just doesn't mean there's one way of playing. And to to me, like the emergence, I, I always felt the centre, the centres since since Brian um, retired, and and uh, you know we, we we lost that that magic centre pairing he had with Gordy 
uh, in the centres. And that's not a criticism of the, of the boys that have come in because when you have giant players like Gordon and Brian that, that broke the world record for the number of appearances, it's very difficult for guys to come through. But I think Robbie Henshaw has really come on. We saw a little bit of it in the World Cup and I thought he'd really come on. I thought Jonathan Sexton's definitely playing flat again and Johnny is at his best when he takes the ball to the line. Simon Zubo's try, I was just going through it again today, where 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 the, the, the mall had gone infield and then Johnny Sexton sweeps back down the short side. If you watch it, he catches to the ball on his on his right hand, he brings it to his right hip and he shows the ball, shows the ball all the time attacking the two New Zealand defenders, waiting for them to make a decision. Finally the New Zealand winger just holds and Zubo's free and he passes. If the New Zealand winger had it gone, he would have gone himself. That's what attacking, taking the ball to the line and attacking the, the line does. And Sexton is a natural at it. But I felt Johnny had gone away from that. I thought his time in France, he'd lost that. that Not lost it is not the right word. He just wasn't going to the line as much as he could. And I didn't think there were options around him like, like I have seen in the past when Joe coached Leinster. But they were there again in the last few games. And I think that's wonderful. I think that's wonderful for the team. Listen, I never want Ireland to lose. I want Ireland to win all the time. But I've got to say to you guys, I, I do get annoyed when we're not honest. And that's what I, all I want. And people don't, mightn't agree with me, and that's, that's cool. I mean, it's just, I'm just one man, one opinion. But I think we've got to be honest, and we can't, we can't say that because I don't think it's fair on, on the people and the game. Look, I don't own the game. Joe doesn't own the game. The game's been there. And I was just looking through the, the record, the stats here going back over a hundred years, you know, the, the the first time these t- these teams played New Zealand and Ireland was the twenty fifth of of November, nineteen oh five. I mean, no one owns the game. The game is for everyone. And when when I'm in this really privileged position that you guys over all these years we've been talking, you you put me in this position. I I sort of never asked for it in some ways. I write for. I always think, how did I get to this position? When I'm writing for the Irish Times and talking to you blokes all the time, which I've, I loved over the years. <laughs> but my job's to just. Not, not to filter. I've got to say and be honest. And, and you know, there's no doubt during the World Cup and the six, last few six months, for 15 months, Ireland were off track and Joe was off track, in my opinion. Not as a person, not, not in any way about him, his integrity or, or any of that. And I, 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 I completely disagree with that because I was often attacked personally. I never want to do it. But I, I'm here saying he coached Leinster magnificently and I was so proud of what Leinster achieved as an old Leinster coach. I want to see the club do well. But I'm also proud of what Ireland are doing now. That's brilliant. But they lost it. But he's coached Ireland magnificently as well. Yeah, I'm not sure about... Um, don't fully get this honesty point. I mean, the, the, the honest appraisal of Joe Schmidt's time in Irish rugby is that he led Leinster to all these Heineken Cups. He had an immediate impact with Ireland and won two, two Six Nations find the World Cup, uh, well, he, he could argue mitigating circumstances in the five or leading players were out without necessarily dragging up exactly what, what unfolded in the World Cup. Uh, and then one tricky Six Nations out of all the time he's been in, char- in, in charge of Ireland. I would have, I would have said that the, an honest appraisal is that he, he's done brilliantly. And I think people were willing to cut him some slack around World Cup time because of what he achieved and because of the hope that he could kind of get, if you want to call it what you call it, get his mojo back, which he seems to have done. Um, I disagree with that, Simon, because I don't think that the team was prepared for the World Cup. I thought the way the team played through the Six Nations, and, and again, this is what I was trying to say, while the rest of the world, uh, the Southern Hemisphere in particular, had changed direction and moved quite radically, Ireland and the, and the, Six Na- and the uh, Northern Nations were stuck in this mire. And I kept saying to everyone, look, you know, come, come the World Cup, this isn't going to be good. 
And um, you know, I was working on two v three, and I kept. And I didn't want to say that, you know. In many ways, it puts me in a in a uh, a position of of uh, being against Ireland and against the team, which I, I certainly didn't want to do. But again, you've got to be honest. And I don't believe the team was prepared in the best way for the last World Cup. And they're, they're failed. When you, when you go to a World Cup and you've and and it's not doesn't come out the way you want, not always, but mostly you can see that going back over the few years preparing for it. The style of rugby that the Northern Hemisphere and Ireland in that instance were playing leading up to it, while it won Six Nations, was going to fail at the World Cup, and it did. And and the greatest, and, and, and here's, here's the, the counter to your argument, the greatest performance from the Irish, time, Irish team was when Paul O'Connell was uh, after Paul O'Connell's injury in the second half of the game where he was injured, when a lot of the players were off and Madigan was playing and Johnny Sexton was off, when everything was lost, those young guys played at their best and won that second half magnificently. So while we, some people say, oh, it was the people that were injured, when they were injured was when Ireland played magnificent rugby, when the boys were were united and and played in a in a style that was that was phenomenal. They tried very hard. But again, it was against the Northern Hemisphere team and the Northern Hemisphere teams had been very poor. And the style of rugby that, that Ireland has played in the last, oh, well, five months since, since the June tour to South Africa is radically different and wonderful and, and is, a, is an expression of how Irish teams should play and has this great variation, as I said before, where we're attacking across the field. You know, the, the energy in the chasing game, the unity in what they're doing is, is absolutely wonderful. But we didn't see that through the Six Nations. And everyone says, we've well, got to win the Six Nations. Absolutely, I'm delighted you win the Six Nations. But it's not preparing you in the style you play for the, for the World Cup. And uh, I, don't think, I don't think enough of our Irish uh, commentators or, or media, and I'm not having a go at you blokes, I'm just saying I, I, I was the lone voice and I got bashed around. So if I got bashed around, I'm allowed to say why. <laughs> Muddy, do you think we can sustain those performance levels that we saw at the weekend? Going into the game, it wasn't a vaunted Irish squad. Uh, it wasn't seen as good as the, the glory days in so 09. Um, you know, was this a bunch of players playing freakishly above themselves or is it suddenly that this game plan has hatched and uh, we've, we've clicked and it's sorted from now on? Look, against New Zealand, I think it's very different for Irish teams against them. I, I always believed that all, the Irish teams were in many ways mentally defeated before they went on the field because um, the, the, the Irish supporters are so mo- emotional. You know, they're the best supporters in the world and there's no two ways about that, the way they get behind the team. But they're also incredibly emotional and they put New Zealand up on a pedestal. And it, I, I think... The, the, to me as an outsider, again, looking in the death of the tragic death and the horrible death of Anthony Foley, you know, sort of might have got into their minds. Listen, you know, we only go around once. We don't know when it's going to end. We all, when someone we love like Anthony dies, we all think of our own mortality. You know, I sat here and just thought I saw him 12 months ago at the World Cup. I went to Munster training and spoke to him and he's a great bloke and we've always got on great and he let me come to training and see it. And I just couldn't believe such a such a young, vibrant man was gone, you know. And, and I think in some ways young guys think they're going to live forever. Like we all do, we're all immortal. And maybe they just, knowing Rory best, they got together with and said, listen, we don't know if we're going to have another shot at this. You never, you never know, 
and they found some sort of unity and mental strength to give the energy required for an 80-minute effort against New Zealand. Now, we saw Wales do it in the summer for 60 minutes. We saw Australia do it for probably 65 minutes a couple of weeks ago. But no one's been going toe-to-toe with New Zealand for 80, and that group of boys did. And you may have just seen the emergence of a great generation because the achievement that they've um, – what they've achieved in that one game – you know, this isn't a good New Zealand side. This is one of the greatest New Zealand sides, if not the greatest I've ever seen. And it was a staggering achievement. Now, if they get some self-belief out of this, which they must get, and if they can get this game plan and keep expanding the game plan to play running rugby, you cannot beat New Zealand. And here again is what I was saying. You cannot beat New Zealand. Five beat them. You, 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 and we kept scoring. This was, again, my argument, statistical argument, that, that we went for almost 15 months, more than that. I think we were up to about 18 months. I just haven't got the numbers in front of me, where the most we ever scored in any game was three tries. And I kept saying, well, this isn't – you're just not going to beat the big teams with three tries. You've got to score a minimum of, of three tries against New Zealand, but you must be scoring four and five tries in games. And look what happens. It's five tries and they win. That is wonderful. If they work out how to keep scoring a number of tries, you'll win. New Zealand against Australia a couple of weeks before, um, you, you, we gave them, as in Australia, gave them three tries. It was a charge down, an intercept, and then a really soft, the opening try was a really soft try. You can't give New Zealand three because they're going to score another two or three anyway, which they did. But that ability to score tries, which deserted Ireland, for, for the best part of two years, is the key to the victory. Now, the defence was magnificent and all those other things. But New Zealand came back, even though they'd been beaten, and started scoring tries at the end of the game. If we hadn't have got the, the fourth and fifth try in, there's no way Ireland would have won. And that, to me, is the giant breakthrough. And it was the same in South Africa. The the, the great regret was in the second test when when we had them completely beaten, you know, we missed some very, very bad tackles and allowed them to win that game. But really right now we should have won in South Africa um, for the first time and beaten New Zealand. And we would look back at the stats and say, because we're scoring tries again. And that tells you there's a change of mindset, a change of philosophy that we hadn't seen for a number of years. Yeah, there was a kind of a fear at the, when the deficit was reduced to four points that we might just try to see it out, which wasn't going to work. All right, so thankfully Henshaw got over the line. Listen, Matt Williams, always great to chat. Thanks a million. Pleasure, guys. All right, I don't think I'm going to come to full agreement with Matty on Joe Schmidt uh, and kind of his overall performance as Ireland coach, which I think has been fairly exceptional. It is an interesting idea that coaches go through form and that you can be a brilliant coach, but you can you can have your own dip, but you can feel your own doubts, even someone as successful as Joe Schmidt. I think there has been a change of emphasis with Ireland, but you would wonder what has prompted that, because... If the defeat to Argentina didn't do it, because the subsequent Six Nations, we played similar rugby as we did in the World Cup. But then on the tour to South Africa with a weakened squad or just with a lot of second-choice players, Ireland did start playing a more attacking brand of rugby. Um, I'd be really interested to know what what made Joe Schmidt, if he has changed his mind about the way Ireland can go, was it that he tried it in South Africa and it worked really well? But that was with Jared Payne, a full-back. That was kind of the spark, whereas Rob Carney was full-back in this game. It's hard to know. Like, Is it conversations? Is it um, seeing other teams and the way things are going? It could have been New Zealand themselves and the run that they're on. That uh, It's so clearly, with the modern emphasis on rules, 
on better pitches, better balls, that attacking rugby, skillful rugby is rewarded more than it ever has been before. The Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast is out now. Richie Sadler was in studio for that one. We will have our usual two podcasts ready to go on Thursday, but there is a small matter of the US presidential election between now and then. Mm-hmm. And I hope people don't mind us dipping our toe into those particularly shark-infested waters <laughs> this time around. It's been quite a bumpy road uh, for both candidates, Murph, this time. And if it sounds like something... Who is it again? It's, it's uh, yeah, Clinton and... Clinton, um, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, that fella. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, we were all coming to this with fresh eyes and ears, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. Tune in a day before the US presidential election. That usually works best for us. So. If it sounds like something you might be into, you can listen to a special bonus post-election show that we're going to put out on Wednesday. That will be on our second captain's extras feed, just an important detail there. That's where we put up all the audio beds and so on from the show. You may well be subscribed to that one already. If not, do get onto that Second Captain's Extras feed. We'll tweet about it anyway once it's out at Second Captain's, but no harm keeping an eye out there anyway. If you'd like to treat yourself to a copy of our new book, Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 2, that's out now on secondcaptains.com. If you'll excuse us now, please, we do have a victory over New Zealand to watch again and again and again. Congratulations once more to Joe Schmidt's Yellow Crazy Ants. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Mark. David. Thanks again. See you soon. is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 